When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Uh, we have with me uh, Andy Green from Rolling Stone. Sup, Andy? Hi, hi there, Brian. How you doing? And Brittany Spanos. Hey, Brian. So, um, hope you, everyone's had a good week. We've had kind of a crazy week. Uh, this week, um, my story came out. It's on the cover of the new issue of Rolling Stone that's just out now. Uh, Paris Jackson's first in-depth interview that is Paris Jackson the daughter of Michael Jackson and we kind of thought this would be a big deal I have to say it <laughs> turned into like an even bigger deal than maybe we expected it, it's been everywhere they did a segment on The View about it um, they did a segment uh, Wendy, Wendy Williams went uh, really hard on it gave Paris kind of a hard time uh, the tabloids went a little nuts. Uh, the paparazzi, unfortunately, harassed Paris at the airport, which was really horrible to watch and makes me really angry. So it's been a little nuts. Uh, I, it's unusual to have a story blow up like this, and it's it's an emotional roller coaster for me, and I'm sure for Paris. And uh, but I, you know, I thought we'd start by I I thought I'd read a little bit of the story and maybe do a little director's commentary and then we'll talk about it and then maybe we'll talk about um, Michael Jackson's history with the magazine as well. So here's a little bit of uh, our new cover story. Paris Michael Catherine Jackson is staring at a famous corpse. That's Marilyn Monroe, she whispers, facing a wall covered with gruesome autopsy photos. And that's JFK. You can't even find these online. On a Thursday afternoon in late November, Paris is making her way through the Museum of Death, a cramped maze of formaldehyde-scented horrors on Hollywood Boulevard. It's not uncommon for visitors confronted with decapitation photos, snuff films, and serial killer memorabilia to faint, vomit, or both. But Paris, not far removed from the emo and goth phases of her earlier teens, seems to find it all somehow soothing. This is her ninth visit. It's awesome, she had said on the way over. They have a real electric chair and a real head. Paris Jackson turned 18 last April and moment by moment can come across as much older and much younger, having lived a life that's feared between sheltered and agonizingly exposed. She's a pure child of the 21st century with her mashed up hippie punk fashion sense. Today she's wearing a tie-dye button-down, jeggings and converse high tops, and boundary-free musical taste. She's decorated her sneakers with lyrics by Motley Crue and Arctic Monkeys, is obsessed with Alice Cooper, she calls him Bay, and the singer-songwriter Butch Walker, loves Nirvana and Justin Bieber too. But she's even more so her father's child. Basically, as a person, she is who my dad is, as her older brother, Prince Michael Jackson. The only thing that's different would be her age and her gender. Paris is similar to Michael, he adds, in all of her strengths and almost all of her weaknesses as well. She's very passionate. She's very emotional to the point where she can let emotion cloud her judgment. So, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we, we started off the first place Paris wanted to go which I think really freaked out her manager was this uh, museum of death, which is like honestly basically the worst place I've ever been in my entire life. Um, like seriously, it is a nightmare. I, I couldn't look at anything. She was totally chill with it, uh, you know. And but I mean, and so to be fair, so we're like, there's a certain like breed of like hipster 
and like really young person who who's like into like faces of death type screwed up screwed up shit and just finds it amusing i i was just like deeply traumatized and couldn't look at anything i mean i won't even say what was there it was so horrible um but i'm i'm like i'm still like maybe a little bit mad that i had to go to that place it sucks so hard but the museum of death was super psyched they 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 uh posted the story on their facebook page and they're like paris see you again soon so whatever <laughs> i guess they liked it i called it a formaldehyde scented like hall of horrors um i'll just i'll just read a little bit more um so Nine of Paris's tattoos are devoted to Michael Jackson, who died when she was 11 years old, sending her prints and their youngest brother blanket sprawling out of what had been, as they perceived it, a cloistered, near-idyllic little world. They always say time heals, she says, but it really doesn't. It You just get used to it. I live life with the mentality of, okay, I lost the only thing that has ever been important to me. So going forward, anything bad that happens can't be nearly as bad as what happened before, so I can handle it. Michael still visits her in her dreams, she says. I feel him with me all the time. So one of the, you know, I never got to interview Michael Jackson. I never met him. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I, I did interview Prince. Uh, you know, I've interviewed Madonna. I've interviewed Bruce Springsteen. So I, I was sort of got three out of the four out of the 80s, you know, quadfracta or whatever. But, um, you know, I and the, part of this was, you know, I grew up on Michael Jackson. Like, he was the first musician um, I, I, I ever cared about. And I, I watched the making of Thriller video a billion times. I had a little Thriller jacket, uh, a little beaded jacket, actually. And uh, so it, it, part of the weird thing about this was getting kind of close to the essence of of Michael. Uh, while, of course, you know, Paris is her own person and, and I was able to hopefully bring her to life as, a, as you know, as her own person. But, I mean, you know, it, I, I like played with Michael's dog, you know, uh, who was a really, really sweet dog. I kind of wanted to take him home. And it was like Michael Jackson's dog was sitting in my lap and it was really wild and sitting in the studio was really wild. And it kind of reconnected to me to a place of sort of Michael Jackson fandom. And it also really changed the way I see Michael. and And I think people reading it have said the Michael that Paris and her brother's no, is so different than the Michael that we think we know. She even said, and you do hear this, that he did not talk in that high voice. You know, in private, Lisa Maria said this too. He he talked in in sort of a much lower voice, um, and he also seemed sort of sane and grounded and a really good dad. And you know, she emphasized in in their opinion, like completely innocent of the charges against him and you have to sort of take it into account their view their sense and you also have to take into account that Paris is a great kid you know I mean you know uh, uh, an oppressive young adult who, who's made it through a lot and you know in general you judge people by in one of the ways you can judge people is how their kids turn out and I have to say you know the kids turned out pretty well so you have to take all that into account uh, you know wh- what, did, what, what have you guys kind of taken away from all this and, and, and from, you know, from the reaction to it and what, what, what's interested you? She comes off a lot older than she is. I mean, obviously it's, she's lived a lot of, a lot more life than people kind of have to deal with or have to go through than at such a young age, but she comes off a lot older than I know her to be. And it's weird because it, it feels like there's this huge gap of her life that we didn't see publicly. Like the last time we saw her really was when she spoke at her father's funeral and then she sort of re-entered public consciousness in the last 
year or so because she's kind of launching her own life now and her own you know adulthood and so it's fascinating to kind of know her as only a child but then kind of see her re-enter and hear her story through your through your story and so yeah yeah well, uh, yeah and she seemed remarkably sane i mean if you think of what she's gone through with her father's loss and being raised by her other family i mean and being in the public eye and the last thing i really heard about her was her troubles about four years ago which were yeah. pretty which were really intense and you, you which she goes into yeah yeah so to see her as someone that's 18, still a kid in a lot of ways, she seemed very poised and very mature, which was surprising because I just didn't know much about her. And I think the story has gotten such a huge reaction because people saw the pictures of her, they know old stories, but who this person is now is a huge mystery to most everybody until this article, really. Yeah, so this this started, I mean, her, her people did come to us and they said, you know, what if, listen, Paris has turned 18, she's sort of coming out as a public figure, it's funny. I, I talked to um, I, I talked to John Oliver for another upcoming story, and he was asking me what um, what I was working on, and I explained that this Paris Jackson thing was coming out. And he's like, "Yeah, but what she's doing?" I said, "Well, you know, she's sort of coming out as a public figure." And he's like, "Yeah, but what does that mean?" And I was like, "Well, you know, so what it what it means is, listen, you're born into fame. Paris Jackson is born into fame in a way that's it's actually sort of hard to get your head around because it's not just like." I've talked to a lot of celebrity kids, both for work and not for work, just because of the environment we end up into. And it's one thing to be a celebrity kid. In a way, she's the celebrity kid. He was, you know, the, in some ways, the most famous man on earth. You know, I mean, he, he, they know him on every corner of the planet. It's, it's incalculable, the, the extent to which he's famous. And, you know, famous and, and you know, in some ways, infamous. So, it's... It seemed like it made sense on some level if she had a story to tell, to to put her on the cover, and and and, and she was embra- and embracing her fame meant that she's you know so she she happens to be beautiful, she happens to be great at being a model, which isn't just about being beautiful, but it's about focus and intent and all sorts of other things which seem to come supernaturally to her, and uh, both supernaturally as in it seems supernatural and also it's very natural to her. And I think some of that is maybe being the focus of attention since she was a little kid, uh, you know, watching her dad be the focus of attention. And she, and I, I think she's a natural born celebrity if she wants to be. And it seems like she wants to be. So they came to us and we weren't sure. Um, it seemed like it was worth a try. And then what we couldn't anticipate, like you said, like you guys said, is that she happens to be a fascinating person in her own right. And again, yeah, incredibly poised when she wants to be, and also, like I said, sometimes seems much younger. Yeah, so then tell me your first reaction to the assignment. Did it surprise you? Is this someone that you knew much about? Did you worry it would be challenging because she's a teenager? I mean, that's a real different kind of profile for you. I wanted to do it. When I heard that it was a possibility, I, I helped, you know, and we should give a shout-out to Christian Horde, who edited this, our, our, music, our music editor, and, and he, he was a big supporter of it. Um, but I, I said, Hey, I'd really like to do this. And my sense was because I thought it was a chance worth taking. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like it's anytime you can get entry into a world that is closed off, which is basically like, you know, to go into the Jackson family compound in Encino and see all the stuff there, which we can talk about, which is. I thought that that I was the first. I, I thought I was going to be the first person in the world to ever describe 
what's there, which is in, includes this, uh, you know, this artwork that Michael commissioned where, where he's always like a cartoon. In one case, he's being embraced by a small child. In another case, he's like, he's holding a book with the words, the secret of life on it. And then below are a bunch of flowers. And within each flower, within each bloom is a little like red cheek little girl. So just like really michael stuff. So I, I was like, maybe no one has ever described this before. So then I, as I was writing, I Googled it. It turned out one person has ever put this in print before, which is Jermaine in his book yeah. uh, four years ago, uh, or, or his ghostwriter, described it as well, although he got some details wrong. <laughs> I can confirm he, got it, he didn't quite get it right. But it is, nonetheless, it is a closed world. But I also say you can go on YouTube and uh, Jermaine... <laughs> Jermaine also just let some dude in there, some friend of his, and the dude like shot some vertical iPhone video of some of these things that I describe and also this museum that I saw, which is really wild. There's a museum on the top floor above the garage that Michael made for his family and mostly for his mom, I think, to surprise her. And basically he got, uh, he made these, he got pictures covering every inch of the floor and ceiling of you know it's funny a lot of it's of the family it's like their grandparents um their parents early early jackson five stuff and then frankly a lot of it is just michael with a lot of famous people like it's a crazy snapshot of of, of the 80s with michael of like every single famous person of 1984 from like freddie mercury to uh, just pictures I've never seen, but like there's a picture of him and Springsteen that I've like never seen before. There, there's a picture of him and Pete Townsend. There's a picture of him and like Francis Ford Coppola. I could like I you know probably Sylvester Stallone. I, I'm pretty sure. Is yeah. the Bruce picture out of the We Are the World sessions or no? no it does not appear. It oh. Appears to be at a Grammys or something. Oh, okay, that makes because sense. there's there is a back there's a famous backstage shot of them. Mm-hmm. Like because Bruce went to see. I presume it was Bruce went to see Michael and they, they're backstage and, but it looks like it's from that but like an angle you never saw before okay. so it's like a lot of these seem to be from his private collection it was, it was fascinating um, and then there's little things like I say in the story like in her in the kitchen so she lives in the studio where Michael demoed Beat It she uh, Paris is under the impression that's where Michael recorded Beat It I checked with Steve Knopper who wrote a book about Michael Jackson and some other sources. It doesn't appear to be the case. It appears like he made the demo, which is amazing. You can hear it on the This Is It album. It's him basically doing an acapella version of Beat It. And we were discussing this earlier. This is how he wrote songs. He sang everything. He sang all the backup parts and then he would actually beatbox the drums and sometimes sing guitar parts and bass parts. So it was like he had an acapella group in his head. It's just extraordinary. But anyway, so that's that's where she's living. It's like a little apartment because the main house is under renovation. And there, like, on the kitchen on the counter is a platinum record of, I think, Thriller inscribed um, to Smelly from Quincy. And that, that Quincy Jones' nickname for Michael was Smelly, as in Funky. Um, and I was just like, oh, look at that. And I mean, basically, this is something that could be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on major display. And it's just, like, sitting on the counter. She's like, oh, I found it in the attic. You know, so it's it's... It's this weird it's this weird thing of like the casual wearing of this insane legacy so just tell me about how you first met her about your first encounter and how you established a rapport with her just how that all go down that's always complicated I mean I, I basically just showed up her her manager who's a great guy named Ham, named Hamilton um, was there her boyfriend Michael Snotty was there and we just started walking around and she gave me a tour some of this is, is not in the story that there's like a pond in the back of the Jackson estate well first of all you drive up the, there's a gate um, you the gate opens there's serious security there 
they tried to make me sign an NDA and I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually here to like, to, to like just close everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm here to, that, that, that happens a lot. And I'm like, I, I, I need to sign a, a, a D because I'm yeah. going to disclose everything. So, <laughs> so they were like, okay, fine. And, and, but I think that's also why no one ever described what's there is mm-hmm. because you're supposed to sign an NDA. Um, but you know, I saw this pond in the back. She has a there's a bunch of fish there. She describes uh, one of the fish is named Prince. It's always confusing, but the, it's a purple fish, so it's named after like Prince Prince, not the. Uh, she she loves Prince, which is interesting because you know Michael had a famously fraught relationship with Prince. It's mm-hmm. also very confusing because like there's Prince, the artist, and then there's her brother Prince, who is by the way named after their grandfather Prince. So there uh, that and that always confuses me. The youngest is technically also. Prince, yeah. right? Isn't he Prince the third or second, or is that wrong? He, yes, that's right. He's Prince Michael the second, so uh-huh. that's why they call him Blanket. And actually, Good. he now goes by BG, but I didn't put BG in the story because it's just confusing. But BG right. is like his nickname in high school, the kids in high school. Anyway, so we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So we're talking about our uh, the new cover story of Rolling Stone with Paris Jackson, which has been a big deal, and uh, also about Michael Jackson and his history with Rolling Stone. I mean, I, I think it's worth talking about Paris's place on the cover of Rolling Stone because mm-hmm. Wendy Williams, who I did yeah. not know cared so deeply about yeah. Rolling Stone, <laughs> Wendy Williams, who I guess wants to be the magic editor of Rolling Stone because she has, a, uh, in a way, it's weird when people complain that you know something isn't worthy of Rolling Stone in a way it's flattering right because they have an idea of what what we are and they care yeah like I, I who the hell knew that Wendy Williams cared so much about the integrity of Rolling Stone she was basically like she was like this is a legendary magazine it is the greatest magazine you have to be you have to earn the cover I was like thanks Wendy yeah. on, on the other hand so, yeah well I'm just saying that there's a Dr. Hook song about it on the cover of the Rolling Stone <laughs> it's become sort of there's not a lot of stuff for, about other magazines like there's no on the cover of Vanity Fair song I mean it's for some reason it's become this thing it's I, I think that People have an idea, and it's not always wrong, but people have an idea that the cover, in fact, it's, it's often right, for m- in many cases, sort of, quote unquote, winning the cover of Rolling Stone is sort of a prize you get when you hit a certain level in your career. Um, yes. And that remains true. You know, th- that is an anointment. I mean, for example, Ariana Grande has not gotten one yet. Um, you know, but and Snooki has. Yes, we'll see. <laughs> but that but was different, like different. Exactly. Big different. cultural moment. Different. Yes. yes, we did not. I, do I think we should put Snooki on the cover? That's a whole other story. <laughs> but, but it was not. That was marking, as, as you say, a cultural moment. It was not saying that Snooki earned it through her artistic merit. There's, there's different ways of it. There's different paths of being on the cover, and and you know the Hulk was on the cover in 1971. He was on the cover uh, again a couple years ago uh, as a freaking comic book or or, or CGI image. Uh, you know the Hulk has never put out a song. It's it's not always music. It's not always about achievement. It, it it's a lot of things. But it, when when you know if if 
Van, like you say, Vanity Fair or GQ put someone on the, on the cover. There's not this sense of like, oh, they didn't earn it. It's such a where's the honor? It's like, well, no. Sometimes we're a journalistic organization. Sometimes it's because it's a big story. And and with Paris, it's it's caught. so basically Wendy Williams to give some background. Uh, the talk show us Wendy Williams basically well, had a lot to say. We'll get to some of the other stuff she said. But one of the things she said is that Paris hasn't earned the cover of Rolling Stone. She doesn't deserve it because she hasn't, you know, achieved enough on her own. She's not a little Lebowski yeah. achiever sufficiently. <laughs> but the attention the story has gotten has dis has disproven her. The fact there's so much interest in this shows it was worthy of the cover. Well what, what Wendy this is again it's so funny. Like Wendy seriously wants to be like our editor. <laughs> Wendy had a whole plan. Wendy said I don't know if you guys heard this part. No. Mm-hmm. Wendy's like what they should have done is waited till the next anniversary of Michael's death, put Michael on the cover and run this same article oh. and it's like thanks but so base but listen it's it's a complicated calculus what well, you know paris happens to be an amazing model you know who, who takes an amazing picture and david la chapelle who's one of the greatest photographers of all time was very excited about shooting paris so what happens is the cover itself is sort of a work of art and so it just like we'd have to be crazy not well, to do this. And as you were saying, it was access to a world that you wouldn't see before. I think in the seventies when they put Gerald Ford's son on the cover of the magazine, this <laughs> is when he was still president. To do a Jack Ford cover seemed insane, but it was an opportunity to profile a person whose dad is president, who lives in the White House, and that's an interesting story. Yeah, and, and also yeah. Paris is gonna be the one carrying I mean it seems like she's probably going to be the most public of she's her the siblings. She's the star of the, of the kids. And yeah. I feel like she's the one that's going to be carrying this legacy on for Michael. I mean, he's still, even though he's passed on, like he's still the most famous man in the world. Like people's, like Michael's music is still everywhere. He's still the most cited influence in pop music today. Paris is, she's the next generation of that. And she's the daughter of the most famous man of all time, probably. And so... Yeah, it's 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 in some way, in some ways it's very unique. In some ways it's a no brainer. She was actually asking, you know, it's funny. She was asking who was the youngest person. She and her manager were asking who was the youngest person to ever appear on the cover of Rolling Stone because she's only eighteen. Yeah. And we're like Michael Jackson because <laughs> he, he yeah. was he was on when, wow. he, when when he was you know he was like eight or nine yeah. or ten or something. Yeah, in a story by Ben Fox Torres when when he was uh, with Ben when he was in the Jackson Five. So. You know, wow. <laughs> that's that's the that we had a good answer for that one. Brittany, do you want to talk for a second about what the other thing that 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 Wendy had to say about the? Yeah, Wendy had this whole thing about how Paris shouldn't claim that she's black. Um, and you would actually, I hadn't heard this interview that the Breakfast Club did, or yeah. where they had discussed it, and they had brought up a similar point that Wendy said, which was, "What color does do the police see?" And <laughs> as a biracial person, that's very offensive because you're, you know race is not dependent upon the the tone of your skin right. and um i mean there have been questions about the paternity and paris does disagree with that and believes michael's her father um and she answered that question very eloquently when you had posed those concerns and media gossip and everything um and i don't think that should be taken away from her and i don't think that being counting yourself as biracial or black depends on the tone of your skin because there are a lot of people like Halsey for example she is also of mixed race her father is black and she is very light skinned and it doesn't a lot of biracial people come out very different colors and tones of brown and also white and yeah darker 
Absolutely. And, and actually, for the most part, <laughs> Wendy and, and the Breakfast Club aside, actually, the, the reaction to that part of the article has been, I think, a lot more respectful mm-hmm. than it might have been a few years ago before people became a little bit more aware. Yeah. Um, I think people would have, you know, and I, and I was worried about <laughs> that reception to that part of the article. But I mean, so basically, you know, as you said, I addressed with Paris the issue of, of her paternity because people sort of look at her and have doubts, you know, and, and she could have, as I wrote in the article, she could have been like very legitimately been like, and her brother kind of said this too, like, what does it matter? Like he was my father, you know, either way, the person who raised you as your, as your father is your father. It doesn't, the mm-hmm. biology of it is irrelevant. And, and by the way, she and her siblings are named in his will. So someone could come out with genetic evidence that they're not his biological kids. It would not matter one iota. They still have their $350 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's not like it, you know, the, it, interestingly though, I, I will say as a side note, in their lawsuit against AG, the wrongful death lawsuit, which they lost, AG threatened to introduce evidence, DNA evidence that they weren't his kids biologically. Mm-hmm. In that case, that would have affected their standing in that lawsuit because if they weren't his biological kids, they wouldn't have had standing to sue. So that would be relevant. But mm-hmm. there is no one on earth, let's say someone in the Jackson family wanted to arrest their inheritance from them, impossible. They are named in the will. So, yeah. and, and so, so it's not like she, so, so in other words, that makes this all the more whatever touching or, or just an emotional issue. She's not insisting upon this because she like, you know, loses her inheritance or anything like that. She's insisting on this because she believes it mm-hmm. and because Michael told her. And, and she basically said for the one time in her life, she was going to address this uh, in, in our interview, which is, you know, intense. And, and she basically said, you know, she, she knows that Michael's her father because he told her so. And that he he told her, you're black, be proud of your heritage. So that's why, of course, she says she's black because Michael Jackson's her father. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the most part, people were respectful. Wendy, <laughs> perhaps not so much. <laughs> but, um, it, it's, I, 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 but for the most part, actually, I saw a lot of people being really supportive of her. And yeah. I think that is because of increased awareness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, like you said, like a few years ago, people would have <laughs> said some like really weird and offensive stuff about yeah, yeah, it's it's actually a case where where you know people's uh and, and where the increased enlightenment actually seems to show and and it you know good job people of Earth for the most part, <laughs> um so and then you know the other controversy which which I was asked about on another uh, show here on Volume was is you know what Paris thinks her, her dad was um some you know there was a conspiracy in his death um which is. To me, uh, this is what I'll say. I think what's most important, really, is that what this says about her mindset and where she's coming from. Um, imagine being an 18-year-old woman and walking around and having that in your head, believing that your father was murdered because your father told you they're going to murder me. I mean, of course you would think that. Mm-hmm. If your father said they're going to kill me and then he dies, of course you would think that. And, and you know, as I say in the piece, he did tell Lisa Marie Presley that too. This is for real. He did tell people this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think of Sean Lennon when he was 20. He told the press that his father, would, that he was murdered by, by some conspiracy by the government or something. You know, it's not uncommon 
just sort of want to think there's something more than just random chaos that caused a huge tragedy. You that, want to That's a very it. fair point. And and we'll listen again with John Lennon if you grew up as John Lennon's kid and I was just talking about this with John Oliver, uh, you know, there was Herbert uh, Hoover hated uh, J. Edgar, not Herbert. J. Edgar. <laughs> Herbert Hoover would have hated him. We, we would have, yeah. we, we, I do not get this music, said Herbert yeah, Hoover, yeah. due to the fact that I am from a very long time ago. But, but, <laughs> but he was still alive at the... Right, okay, sorry. <laughs> Herbert Hoover was like, I, I, I hate this. Um, but J. Edgar... <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, yeah. J. J. Edgar Hoover really didn't like Lennon, and they literally there was a conspiracy to try to expel him from the country. So but not to murder him. <laughs> well, but I'm saying if you were his yeah. kid, there, yeah, sure. From your perspective, there would be evidence that the government was in fact conspiring conspiring against John Lennon. So, yes. uh, you know, I don't know. Everyone, it's all everyone's a conspiracy. I don't know, or everyone is not a conspiracy. Who the hell knows? The truth is. Uh, here's the thing about Michael Jackson is he did own an asset that artists sort of like aren't supposed to own in the music industry. He managed to he had you know the, this this Sony music catalog that they just sold for for half a billion dollars right. for seven hundred fifty million dollars. Excuse me. Right. So this was and he used to own he used to own by the way all of it uh, and and then he he had to sell. Half of it when he got into in, into financial trouble. Well, and he's a rare he's a rare person who is worth a lot more dead than he was alive. So you could see why someone would also think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you know, who's to say? Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, I, I might I won't get into what I think personally, but you, you, your your point holds, Andy. Um, but it's 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 a it's a unique thing, and uh, you know, to to be. Paris Jackson. To, that, that's what's interesting is is how do you see the world when you're in this position? And and one of the things is is I think just diving into pop culture and the fact that she that she's such a hard rock fan and a metal fan and, and that and then and then I expected when I asked her how that sort of happened, I don't know if I expected the answer, which is that her dad. You know, it's it's Van Halen and Slash. It all came through her her dad. You know, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But um. I think one of one of the most uh, one of the most amazing moments was just walk, was just walking with her along along the road. We were walking towards um, towards a sushi restaurant in the dark because she she didn't have a driver's license as of November. She has apparently since November gotten her driver's license. Great, good for you, Paris. But we were, we were walking and, and she was talking about you know like how much she loves Disneyland. And I said, well, you know, you, you did grow up in Neverland. Isn't that the same mm-hmm. thing? And and she basically was like, well, not exactly because we weren't actually allowed to go on on the rides except when we on weekends. So the way I, I got a sense of it was Neverland was like the town they lived in. And they mostly just, you know, were in their house. And then on the weekends, they got to go to the cool parts of the town. So I guess that's an example of how Michael made what seems like a completely bizarre existence seem somewhat normal. I don't know. Andrew, you're going to ask something. Yeah, I think just the central issue that hangs over Michael's life and will always linger there, and what she must be forced to deal with at times, is this issue of, is he a monster that molested children? Or is he... And is he somebody that ever touched a kid that was unfairly charged with it and had his life ruined because of it? And it's sort of this thing that's always hanging just over everything is, did he do it? Yeah, it's sort of like Schrodinger's allegation or like, <laughs> yeah, no, because it's because as we were saying during the break, it, it is, you know, 
if if Michael Jackson was falsely accused, he is one of the most unfairly vilified people who ever lived, and the world destroyed yeah, him for like no reason. This, if he never touched a kid, it's like this angel that came down and gave us music and all these wonderful things and tried to help children, and we crucified him to the point where he basically died because of it. Mm-hmm. Of but if he did do it, if he's a child molester, a serial one, then he's a monster. So trying to get to the center of that question is very difficult. Well, let me say this, and I, I say this in the article. I mean, talking to Prince and talking to Paris, they are so deeply convinced of his innocence that, you know, if they could go door to door and talk to each person in America... I think everyone in America would be convinced of his innocence because their their experience is is so yeah is so particular. I, I you just know? think the problem is that he made himself look so guilty by making a amusement park at his home to get children there, uh, by admitting to sleeping with children in the same bed. Mm-hmm. He, if he didn't do it, which I think there's very good odds that he didn't do it. After the first after the first wave of allegations to always be around young children was not very smart PR wise. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he it's possible he was just you know deeply naive. Hey, listen, we have uh, Jay on the phone from Nevada with some thoughts on Paris Jackson. Let's hear from Hey Jay. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. What's up? Yeah. Well, I'd just like to uh, open up the. Uh, I know you asked to see whether people would be the feelings on her being a. a on the front cover, I think absolutely the story was a, a, a tremendous story. The, it, oh, it's always you. great when you have an interview which opens up so many points of discussion. And uh, fair play to you because to get access to her and to get her talking about those subjects is is, is amazing. Um, my my feeling is is that I think that she absolutely should have been. It, it's a cover story, no two ways about it. But I think. Maybe somewhere in there, there should have been a mirror with her looking in the mirror at Michael and Michael looking back. I don't know whether that would be a good case, but essentially to give a notion of of why she would be a great cover star. Um, I mean, the, 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 the subjects, the subjects that you came out with were, and, and the matters that discussed are amazing. And, and again, this notion of her being convinced that her dad was in some way you know murdered it has i think i think will be looked at again and i mean the jacksons tried once in court to raise this with with the concert promoters and got nowhere but i I can see that you may have opened up again perhaps a a new sequel bid or or something else to uh to to open that uh, that case up what do you think We'll see. I, you know, I, I don't. It, you know, it's not like she. <laughs> it's not like she brought out new evidence. But you know, I, again, I think it's more about what she believes and what the family believes. Uh, Jay, thanks so much for calling in, man. Have a great day. Thank you so much. All right. Bye bye. So we were talking about you know the the extraordinarily fraught issue of Michael's guilt or innocence. I mean, listen, you know, every one of the accusers, and this is sort of what various biographers, including our friend Steve Knopper, have concluded. It's tough because every one of the accusers asked for a lot of money or, you know, had some other kind of compromising situation 
in the case of the of um, the, the the first accuser who Michael settled with made accusations while under a powerful uh, mind-altering drug administered by his father who then subsequently committed suicide. Uh, so we have like the messiest mm -hmm. situation. And listen, I, I am prepared you know, more than ever to contemplate the possibility of a completely innocent Michael Jackson who was horribly persecuted. And listen, as you said, made some errors in judgment as far as opening himself up to uh, to these charges, and and you know he he it, it, it's a tough thing. Yeah, and the Martin Bashir thing was such a fiasco too for him. The Bashir thing was tough, and I think you know M Michael. It's an acknowledged thing that Michael had a problem with with painkillers, and his problem with painkillers began as do many such problems with pain. I mean, he had, and you know I, I'll say again, one of the things about you know talking to someone's kids is you you see their full humanity in a different way and. So I was contemplating the various things that, you know, people kind of laughed about and made jokes about. One of them is, you know, that his hair caught on fire while filming a Pepsi commercial. Like at the time, that was like a source of, unfortunately, much amusement in for like 80s kids. Mm -hmm. When you really, when you read about it and then contemplate it, the dude's scalp was burnt. Uh, he lost, he had permanent damage, there, permanent nerve damage. He was in terrible pain for years because of that. He had to, that was part of why, you know, it, it, it was disfiguring and painful. Then he had some, uh, you know, he had, he had a, a bad stage accident that was really painful. So, and he also was not, you know, apparently the most stoic person on earth when it came to pain, which isn't, I guess, super shocking. So, well, his pain, pro his pain med medication problem did start from real pain. And it is, by most accounts, he was off those meds for much of the 2000s after the Bashir documentary. So someone like Paris, fortunately, her, her sort of prime experience of him from her ages of like six or seven to age 11 when he died, he was not on, he didn't have a drug habit for the most part. So she knew him clean and sober and healthy. So that could explain, you know, why her impression of her of him is, is so kind of pure and strong so I don't know what do you think yeah I think um kind of going back to the idea of his naivety we don't really discuss the severe trauma that he had to deal with as a child I mean the way that he was worked and the way that he um with the way his father treated him and his siblings I mean I think that he suffered from a lot of abuse and then kind of losing his childhood to sort of just the cycle of having to perform all the time being yeah. this huge celebrity I, the way that it's treated now is much different. I think there's a lot more um, sympathy towards kids who are super famous young because yeah. we've seen the way that that has played out for a lot of famous actors and musicians over decades now of the trauma that they deal with from being famous so young and the way they're in public eye. But on top of that, also the very clear way that Joe Jackson was a terrible father and a very abusive physically abusive and emotionally abusive man um by by michael's account yeah, yeah by yeah. michael's account by a sibling's account um, well, i mean it's weird like jermaine <laughs> jermaine's book is one of those things where it like basically confirms every one of those facts and yet spins it in a different way it's really mm -hmm. interesting i recommend jermaine's book by the way yeah. it's actually quite good and quite interesting although i don't know how superbly accurate in its interpretation of things like that one of the things that, that paris had to say about michael and it didn't all make the story um, was, you know, was she under that she, you know, certainly was not denying that Michael had some plastic surgery, you know, um, but she points out quite rightly that he was under scrutiny for his appearance from, uh, from a very young age. 
um, and and my you know one of the things you learned from from Jermaine's book and from a, you, that my, Michael was such a cute little kid. And then when he went through his adolescence in public, which is, you know, we, we've seen that that's always agonizing. And, you know, he had bad skin and his, his he got what his family said was like a big nose. And they started calling him big nose, like his brothers and even his dad. And it like traumatized him. And that's why he started screwing with his nose. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah, I mean, he would tell stories that he got in public and people that they, they'd be like, wait, is that Michael? He's so big. I mean, he always had to right. Be seen he used as a to kid. be cute, like yeah. all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, his a lot of his siblings have also. I think all of them have gotten similar nose drops to. I th- like. I would like to say. I'm not sure, but I think that comes with the idea of kind of like whitewashing black features, and no one has really reached the the heights that the Jackson family have reached, especially Michael. Um, so I yeah, think that kind back of, then, yeah. yeah. So I think that also those types of reactions weighed in on that and that type of idea of what it looks like to be a star also weighed well, heavily. You, you know, Jay-Z in his book said something really interesting about that, which is that there was a sense that to be sort of um, a black star that you had to have you, that, yeah, that the, the that you had to have like sort of whitewashed features, and mm-hmm. you had to, you Heavy know, light skin. yeah, light, light skin, and and and, me, and maybe mess with your nose, and may, maybe you know mess with your hair or whatever. And and, and he w- was very proud of the fact that he didn't do any of that. And then he helped show, and I, you know, and it's really interesting. But yeah, there was this sense, right? It's it's like, so it, there's a, it, it's a pretty fraught thing. But then the the other thing is, you know, and Paris pointed this out. He had. Vitiligo. That is a fact. In other words, uh, something that, that messed with, uh, you know, the, the the pigment of his skin. It was, it was it's a disorder, um, and people kind of. One of the things that I, I think confused people, and I went back and watched the Martin Bashir documentary, is Martin asked about his changes in appearance, and it all got con- kind of conflated into one. And Michael did mention the vitiligo, but it was in the course of everything else. So I think people kind of thought that was an excuse or even made up. But the fact is, in his autopsy, it is confirmed that he had vitiligo. And vitiligo can strip the pigment of your skin, and, and, and that, that happens. So... That was not a self-loathing thing, um, whether whether there was some kind of cosmetic bleaching to match whatever. But I mean, that was not. It, there was there was the uh, kind of a, a myth that it was that he didn't want to be black, and he, he actually there's video of him saying that no, I'm proud to be black. I'm proud to be a black American, and and you know he, he said that to his kids. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions. It's it's interesting to try to sort of separate you know the fact from fiction here. Um, and the the other thing you guys were asking was Paris's sort of desire to be on this cover and whether she wants to be a celebrity, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was watching that video of her at the airport, that Ugh. really sad video being chased by the paparazzi. You see the fear in her eyes and she runs and they chase her and she just looks so sad and confused by the whole thing. I'm just wondering why she wanted to be on the cover. Well, listen, that that broke my heart. Um, I hate that that happened. It's she happened to land in an airport the moment our story came out. It's like the worst timing of all time. I, I don't think it's going to like be like that for her from this moment on. But I think, I think you know, she's kind of. I think it's about claiming her legacy. I think part of her does. She wants to the way she painted. She wants to seize this platform because she has a lot of causes she wants to talk about. She wants to seize the great power so she can use the great responsibility that comes with it. So I think that's the idea. And I think also part of it is like it just feels like that's what she's known. 
you know mm-hmm. it, that that's what she's known so it's just natural but i i, I think unfortunately and i you know i can't say i'm happy about it that i that, that you know that the sense of like being persecuted and stuff that that came with michael's fame I, I, you know I, to, to see all that happen in 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 a couple minutes in a video was agonizing so but I, I on some level yes she does want to be famous you know but i'm sure she has mixed feelings like any of us would and and i hope you know I hope she finds a balance where she can have the career she wants and, and not also be besieged by total asshole paparazzi who, who really were the scum of the earth in that video and, and it made me absolutely sick. So, I don't know. You know, it's... it's um, yeah. yeah, I just wonder if she fully thought through how much attention this story would get, how much it would increase her own fame and her privacy issues. I mean, I just wonder if she fully realized all that. I hope so. I mean, you know, the truth is, in some ways, no one will be better informed on Earth about what it's like to be really famous than Paris Jackson. Mm-hmm. So I would, I, and and she is wise beyond her years, and she did have professional people working with her. So uh, that said, I don't think any of us anticipated quite what the story became. Uh, it's freaking me out a little bit. So I, you know, yeah, I, I hope, you know, I hope, we, I hope she can find a balance with it, and I hope. I think it will also die down. And I also think the idea was, and I still believe this, and I like, I really like what Whoopi Goldberg said on The View, which is that I really, everyone should go and watch that, which is that, you know, this is Paris saying, I'm strong enough to address this. I want to, people think they know my story. I'm going to seize it into my own hands and tell it my way. And I think that's what was great about it. Um, So I, so I hope, I I, I think that's the best way of seeing it. And, you know. I think she did a great job of telling the story, and I'm 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 really grateful for her her bravery and you know and generosity with her time. So anyway, this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. Please uh, come back and listen to us again next week on Volume at 1 p.m. and download our podcast at RollingStone.com/podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.